This uh, section is on devotional life as fuel for evangelism. Is that where you thought you were? Good. You have been successful in finding your spot. Uh, Congratulations on that. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, My voice is still sounding about the same, I think. Those of you who are here the last hour, has it gotten worse or is it about the same? I think we're going to be okay. So a lot of people praying that it would function and work. It has been out for a while. So let's bow our heads and uh, we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the Sabbath that you have set aside for us to spend with you and uh, spend time working on our relationship with you and spend time praising you and just enjoying you. And I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit right now to guide and direct us, to teach us, fill us and guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That reminded me, um, finished uh, a couple of years ago my, my doctor of ministry degree through Andrews University, and uh, my emphasis was on uh, biblical spirituality, discipleship and biblical spirituality, so it's about um, devotional life and how to follow Jesus, those kind of things. And after graduation, we had a little retreat uh, at the Adventist Frontier Missions Compound just outside of Berrien Springs, AFM. And uh, the the parting words from our professor after this four-year journey, he quoted one of his friends, a fellow professor at the seminary. And he said, at the end of the day, when it's all over, he says, the bottom line, the point of being a Christian is to love God and enjoy him forever. You ever thought about enjoying God, enjoying his presence, enjoying life in him? Um, yeah, this is the best life that we can possibly live is to, to spend our lives with Jesus. So as I was uh, working on my doctorate in this area, I mean, devotional life has been a, a passion of mine, something I felt called to for, for many, many years as a Christian. Uh, growing up Adventist, I never related to uh, what George Knight calls the beastly preaching. I never really was that enthralled with uh, revelation prophecies. I was always more drawn to John and to try and have a personal connection with Jesus. And so what I told myself in college was, in the back of my mind, says, well, if I don't know the exact day that Jesus is coming, if I know him personally, I'll recognize him when he shows up. So I thought, I want to learn to recognize him, and then I'll start trying to work out the details of the things that are harder for me to understand. And so I, as I've gone through life, I've, I've found out that I'm more of a, and I always get this wrong, is right brain the more creative side? And left brain is the rational side? Adventism is incredibly left brain. It is very rational, it is very reasonable, and it's logical, it makes complete sense. But if you are a right brain person, I think we lose most of them. You understand what I'm saying? we're, We're so geared, we're so specialized, at the left brain that we don't know how to relate to people who think on the other side. And so I, I went from a biology and math major to an art major. My bachelor's is in fine arts. And I'm just kind of the artist side. And so when I read the Bible, some people are, are really excited. And, and they a study of Revelation can be incredibly spiritually nurturing for a lot of people. But not for everybody. I believe that God can speak to all of us in the way that we need to hear him throughout scripture. And we need to have a balance. We need to study all of it. I do know about Revelation. I love reading Revelation, but I get something completely different 
than timelines and all that kind of stuff out of it. I actually see a, a more fuel for a relationship with Jesus. And so we, we all connect differently. But I think we need to learn how to feed ourselves spiritually. And once we can learn to feed ourselves spiritually, then evangelism will start to naturally flow out. So that's just kind of a, a little bit of my personal walk in, in finding that devotional life is really what helped me to become on fire for Jesus. Uh, when I was just growing up in the do's and the don'ts, the rules and the studies, it all just kind of went over my head and my faith was very separate from my life. But once I learned to talk to Jesus personally and have a relationship with him, that's when things took off for me and that's when I became a lot more evangelistic is when I started to have that personal connection. So I want to uh, go through, as I, as I was doing my research for my doctorate on the spiritual growth and the kids that were attending my campus clubs, I kept track of the things I was teaching. And so I was teaching on the devotional life. And so as I was teaching it, I was writing it up, and kids were responding tremendously. And so I wrote it up into book format, and uh, Review and Herald ended up publishing it. And so this is, you know, with my campus ministry, the concept is to get out of the church, go meet people in the middle of their world to try and help them live their faith there. So my model is to get on campus and meet with kids. What I teach in that setting is all in here. So you need to have the concept of going out and meeting people, but you also need to, I've found that for kids in the middle of their day at school, rather than another Bible study, because they're studying all day, they want a break, they want to do something different. So I found that devotional life was a key thing there because when things are happening around them on a public school campus, learning how to respond to that, how to help friends, the devotional life is where that comes in. It's uh, knowing how to be connected to Jesus in a tough situation and having something from your heart to share with the, the people that are around you. So the structure of the book is on the Gospel Commission. Who can tell me what the Gospel Commission is? Okay, I heard Matthew 28. Go ye therefore into all the world, teaching all nations. That's what I was told when I was young as well. What else? is the Gospel Commission about. Where else can you find it in the Bible? Revelation. Okay, but specifically, just the Gospel Commission, Jesus' parting words to his disciples, it's in every one of the Gospels. And so, as I was studying, and as I was researching, and of course my favorite book of the Bible is John, now it's getting in competition with Ephesians. Ephesians is really good. Have you guys read that lately? Is that, how many of you, do we have any Pathfinders here? Okay, any of you do the Pathfinder Bible experience? Okay, a few years ago, I was, since my ministry is living it, how to live your faith in the real world, I was asked a few years ago to start writing some Bible studies for the Pathfinder Bible experience because I found that kids were memorizing the books of the Bible for Bible trivia competition, but they weren't necessarily getting anything out of it personally. And so I started writing, instead of study guides, application guides. And so I used my personal method of study, and I started writing those for the books of the Bible that the kids were memorizing. And so this year, I am just finished writing Ephesians a few days ago. It's due Monday. I've got a few more to go. But anyway, it's like Ephesians, man, this is such cool stuff. So anyway, we'll get into that more later. But so anyway, the, the Gospel Commission, it's in all four of the Gospels, and it's different in every single one of them. Okay, so the place I like to start, because I was raised that the gospel commission was go and teach all nations. And so we had evangelists come to our church and they would preach and they would teach. We would pay them to do that. We'd pay to mail out flyers. 
And so we'd have this great thing. People would understand the Bible. Then the evangelists would leave. And a short time later, the people would leave. So that is a very unbalanced view of evangelism. It's more than teaching. In Matthew itself, it says, Go ye therefore and make disciples. Okay, what is making a disciple? Is make, can you stand up and preach at someone and is that making a disciple? No, that's teaching. Making a disciple means instead of just mailing out flyers only, we should be inviting people personally. We should be in our neighborhoods getting to know people, people from work, people from school. We should be personally inviting because that is the disciple-making process is to actually make friends with people, invite them into your life, and then you have a lot more authority to teach. And so we don't even have the full gospel commission from Matthew, but the place I like to start is in John. And so who knows what the gospel commission is according to John? This is the one you might have to search for just a little bit, but it's right before Jesus goes back to heaven. And you know you can find the gospel commission in the last chapter of each of the gospels. So if you want to take out your Bibles and look, the last chapter of John, there's a conversation between Jesus and who? Peter. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And what does Peter say? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then go into all the world and feed my sheep, right? Three times, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. Jesus says, then go and feed my sheep. So is that the gospel commission? And what is the gospel commission founded on? A personal, loving relationship with Jesus. It took Peter three and a half years to try and sort through that and figure out what it was. But the only way that we will be successful in evangelism is when we have a personal relationship with Jesus. Amen? And so Peter, he struggled with Jesus. He, he ran ahead sometimes. He shot his mouth off. He had all these struggles. And we get to see his relationship with Jesus throughout their journey. And it was on that foundation that Peter laid down his life for his master. Would anyone lay down their life for a set of doctrines? For a set of teachings? Nobody's going to die over some sterile set of, you know what I mean? But it's when you know Jesus. Just like they all knew him, walked with him personally. So uh, evangelism has to be founded on a personal relationship with Jesus. So that's the first part, and then we'll get more into that. So... That's uh, the gospel commission according to John. What is the gospel commission according to Luke? It's more similar to Matthew. He says, go and teach all nations. He gives them the gospel commission, but then he says, but wait. What other book did Luke write? Acts. And Acts also starts out with the same scenario, with the same commission. And so he says, go into all the world, but before you go, wait for what? If you think of Acts, you'll get it quickly. Wait for the Holy Spirit. He says it in Luke too. Before you go, wait for the Holy Spirit. And so when our evangelism is fueled by a legalistic, rigid following of rules, do you need the Holy Spirit to do that? No, you can beat people up with that on your own. But if we're connected to Jesus in a personal relationship and filled with the Holy Spirit, the way we evangelize will be radically different. 
and it will be guided by the Spirit, and it will go to people's hearts. Is this making sense? Amen? Is this heresy? No? Okay, good. Almost? (laughs) No, we don't want heresy. Um, So, personal relationship with Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit, and then we pull in Matthew to uh, teach and disciple. So just the way is, if we have a nurturing, loving relationship with Jesus, it'll be more natural to have a discipling relationship with other people. Amen? But if we have this fearful, legalistic relationship with Jesus, then that's where we get into this people bashing. And have you ever been attacked by a real legalistic person? Because people who are caught up in that mentality, that understanding, it is a very bitter struggle for a life. And so they share that naturally with other people, right? It's from that anger inside, whereas if we have a loving connection to Jesus, that will come out very naturally and flow as well. Make sense? And so from there, we go to the last gospel that we're going to look at is the gospel of Mark. And what does the gospel commission say there? And now this one, I believe, is written in italics. And so they say it's not in some manuscripts, not in the others, but it's in my Bible, so I use it. So what does it say about the gospel commission in Mark? And he goes on with some other things. And if you pick up a serpent and it bites you, you will not die. And it lists all kinds of miracles that will accompany the gospel commission, correct? And so it's saying that when you go out of a heart full of love for Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit, there will be miracles, there will be evidence that God is with you. And so there will be fruit to your labor and you will be safe and you will be okay. Okay? So it's going to say that there will be fruit to your labor and there will be evidence that God is with you. Amen? And so that is the structure of the gospel commission to be successful in evangelism, but it all starts with that personal relationship with Jesus. So I would like to uh, get a little input. What do you do currently that helps you in your devotional life to be connected to Jesus? What are some, some ways that you've found to be successful or maybe some frustrations? Yes. What's that? Prayer journaling. How does that help you? Okay. And for me, I usually journal in the more difficult times of my life. And so what I have found is that journaling, writing things down, tends to help me to think through my thoughts better and to get a different perspective and a better perspective. So that can help. So journaling, so journaling prayers, or if you're going through a passage of scripture, journal your thoughts on that. What are some other successful ways that you've found? Good. So, and that's, and you heard that in the panel discussion this morning for devotional life, finding relationship with Jesus, setting aside a certain time is very, very important. So I've got far more material than I can cover. So just, uh, I'll get back to this as much as I can. But in in my book where I wrote up uh, the things I did and go through the gospel commission, like I was talking about, but uh, the last section, starting on page 123, uh, a few years ago, Pacific Union College gave copies of these to all their freshmen. And the chaplain told him, start on page 123. And so this is where I lay out um, some concepts on a structure for your devotional life, which is morning, moon, and night, morning, noon, and night. Just like uh, Daniel, right? In the Bible, he got in trouble for having that regular prayer time. And it shows you how um, to find out which 
kind of passages of scripture you connect with the most. And so the, the big devotional time is in the morning. You check in at lunchtime. Then at night you review your day to see how things went. If there are times when you uh, wish you would have done something differently. And so anyway, it just it gives you uh, how to set up your own personal devotional times, choosing passages of scripture and how to go through it. So we'll get to that if we have time. But the, the basic concept is you need to have that time every day. And then what I really want to focus on is how to understand Scripture devotionally. Okay? Because I grew up with a method of Bible study that was kind of the slicing and dicing, the proof texting. That is good for study. But do you know that study is not necessarily devotional? Does that make sense? Bible study is a different activity than devotional time in the Bible. Devotional time is to nurture your relationship with Jesus. Bible study is to understand teachings and doctrines and how to understand God better. So you understand God through Bible study. You connect with him through devotional time. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example. My favorite passage in scripture, when we're talking about a passage, not just a verse, is the 23rd Psalm. How many of you know the 23rd Psalm, have it memorized? It's the Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Okay. I believe that when Jesus taught the disciples to pray in Matthew, when he talked about a vain repetition, I think there are many passages of scripture like that that have become a vain repetition for a lot of people. Because I think we need to slow down the reading. And we need to sit with scripture and we need to pray through scripture and we need to try and understand it. So things like reading through the Bible in a year where you race through and try and, and get a lot of chapters in every day, that doesn't work for me. Because it's racing and it may not be what I needed for that particular day. And so what I've tried to do is learn how to feed myself spiritually. So you wake up and you know, whatever kind of mood you're in, you know if you like want to read a story about Jesus. Or if maybe you need some Proverbs, some wisdom. You start to learn to know different places in Scripture to go to feed yourself just like you have cravings for food and you kind of have a balanced diet you know what to take in you can learn to do that spiritually i believe and so for me the foundation uh, though has always been the 23rd psalm i've been praying through that scripture for uh, for probably four years i prayed through at least five days a week and now it's still very regular. So I've, I've prayed through the 23rd Psalm thousands of times, and it does not get old because it is not a passage that I memorize what it says, but it's a tool that I use to guide me in my own devotional life. So how does the 23rd Psalm start out? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. You stop right there. So you say, the Lord is my shepherd. What do you get out of that? Yes. Okay, how do you get that? Okay, so who wrote this? This is important. When you're going to get into a passage of Scripture, you have to find out who wrote it first, right? So who wrote it? David wrote it. And what kind of person was David? He was known in all of Scripture as a man after God's own heart, right? So he was known as someone very close to God. We know that as a 17-year-old teenager, he had already written many psalms. He went out and was the only person with courage and faith uh, to face the giant. And we know all of the conquests throughout his life. So when David says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, is there evidence that that was true? Yes, it was very true. So this is David's statement of faith. 
So when David stands up and says, the Lord is my shepherd, we know that it was true. So what do we do with that? Every day, and this is where we, we slip up with our Bible study, our time in Bible a lot, is we have to get to application. So every day I go through that and I say, okay, is the Lord my shepherd? Because we have a choice, don't we? We are, there are many stories in the Bible about the straying sheep, the lost sheep, the found sheep. We choose whether or not we follow the shepherd. Is that right? And so when I do that, we know that David was faithful. We know he made mistakes, but he came back. But that for me is a check-in time. And I try to think through the last 24 hours, the last weeks, like, well, have I been following the shepherd? Is there any evidence? There's evidence for David. Is there evidence for me? Did I lose my temper? Was I kind to someone? And start thinking through, do you have peace in your life? How's it going? And so you start to think through and say, well, you know what? I've been frustrated a lot lately. So I need a connection. Does that make sense? So it's a time to sit down and pause and think about your life and your connection to the shepherd because we can choose to follow him or not. And so then when we do choose to follow him, what is the promise that goes with that? I shall not want. And so you'll find in the 23rd Psalm, it's a lot of statements, choices, and promises that goes with it. So when we choose to follow Jesus, when we invest in that relationship, we will not want. That is a promise from scripture. That doesn't mean we'll be rich or famous or anything else, but it means that we will, we're going to make it. We'll have peace in our lives. It doesn't mean there won't be any trouble, but it means that we're going to make it through and we're going to be ready for heaven. And we'll get to be with Jesus for eternity. So when we choose the shepherd, you're not going to go insane. You're not going to, you, do you know why people start getting into drinking, drugs, all those kind of things? Is because they're trying to, to mask the pain. They're trying to deal with what's happening in life. Well, that is the place for Jesus. And so when we have that nurturing relationship with him, he takes care of that and we're not tempted by those things. So the Lord is my shepherd. That's a daily choice. That's why I like to try and pray through this every day because we need to think about that. And the promise that goes with the choice is we shall not want. And then what does it say next? He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. Now David obviously did that because he was a shepherd, right? What does that look like for us? Can we apply that to our lives? We have enough food. Enough food? Grass. Okay, grass for the sheep there, so there, there could be a, a nourishment in that kind of way. How else? I, I like to think of that as my time in nature. Ellen White says nature is God's second book. And so that's our invitation to unplug, to turn off the phones, turn off the TV, Go hiking, get in your backyard. You got plants, but it's a time to disconnect from the world and to connect with God. And so I have penciled into my calendar once a month, a half a day of prayer in a little Japanese garden in the park outside of the town where I live. And so I just try and, and just go and spend time talking to God. Uh, I don't have anything, you know, I've penciled in a half day, so I don't have any other appointments assignments. It's just a time to walk with God, to listen to his voice. Uh, how many of you like the old time hymns? Are you familiar with one called In the Garden? When I was a kid in elementary school, Mrs. Bimberg, our, our elementary teacher at church school, she would play that all the time. It was one of my favorite songs. And do you know the words of that song? He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And it's this beautiful picture of someone walking in a garden with Jesus. 
and you know, as I was writing this and journaling on it, I sat there and I was like, oh my goodness. I have sung that song so many times, but I've never done it. We, we have these idyllic passages and pictures in the 23rd Psalm where we recite it, but we can live it, guys. You can walk and talk in the garden with Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> and I've become dependent on that. I have to have that. And what is the promise that goes with that time? He restoreth my soul. That is where you unplug. That is where you de-junk. If you go out and spend time with Jesus and just what's upsetting me and giving him those things. And, and uh, I like to pray through other passages of scripture. So I go to the, the garden to do this. I'll be praying through the 23rd Psalm. Love praying through the Ten Commandments. When you interpret them through the lens of love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, they suddenly instead of negative become positive. Praying through the Ten Commandments. Love Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. The goal, the prize to press for so spending that time unplugging, just praying silently, praying out loud, talking to Jesus, praying through passages of scripture, and that can be so healing and so restorative for you personally, emotionally, spiritually. It is an incredible thing to get out. How many of you do anything like that? Go out and take a prayer walk, nature walk. Learn to make that intentional. Make it a part of your devotional life because that worked for David, right? So he spends time in the green pastures close to the, the cool waters and that's how it restored his soul. And then what did he say next? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So when you choose Jesus as your shepherd, when you are following him, when you are spending quiet time with him in nature, that fuels you and nurtures you for those paths of righteousness, which are the little errands that God sends you on. That's going to doors. That's helping people. Going on those errands, the paths of righteousness is our outreach. It's our witnessing. So when we are connected, just like David was, we will naturally start to share with other people and God will be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and he will be able to prompt us when the time is to speak to someone, to uh, help someone, all those different things. Does that make sense? So the 23rd Psalm is your devotional guide. And so um, if you, I think in the panel discussion, they're saying, well, what do you do if you miss your devotions in the morning? Okay, when you put scripture in your mind, you can have devotions anytime, anywhere. It's memorized, it's with you. No one can take it away from you. And so while you're driving in your car, anything, anytime, anywhere, you can pray. Because in the Bible times, did you, you know, people were illiterate, right? People could not read or write. In fact, the scrolls were lost for years. I forget which king it was that found them. It's like the scrolls have been lost for years. Find a scribe. Who can read them? The average person could not read. So it was the time of the oral tradition. Things were passed down orally, so people had to memorize them to pass them to the next generation. Now, how long does it take to forget something? You have to repeat it very regularly to keep it memorized, right? And so that means they had to be praying through scripture on a regular basis to keep it memorized, to pass it on to the next generation. And so that's where we get the, is it pronounced the Shema? In Deuteronomy 6, 
Teach them as you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. When the scripture is in your mind and it's memorized, you can talk about it and you can apply it to every situation, everywhere you go, with your family, with friends, whatever situations come up at school, at work. If you have the scripture in your mind, it is a tool to use to nurture your relationship with Jesus anytime, anywhere, in any situation. Amen? Amen. And so from there, the 23rd Psalm, so that's the paths of righteousness. And then it goes on next. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Does it say if I walk through the valley of shadow of death? No. In this life, trouble is promised. It will happen because there is a devil and he is very active. But since David had chosen the Lord as his shepherd, since he's spending quiet time nurturing his relationship with him in nature, since he is used to being used by him in the paths of righteousness to help other people, he knows that when he goes in the times of trouble, does it say in the plain of the valley or not in the plain of the shadow of death? No, he says a valley because valleys do not last forever. It is not a plain, it is a valley. That means it's going to be an end to it. That means you will come out of it. What comes after a valley? A mountaintop. So when you are walking with Jesus and he is active in your life and you're going on those missions and all those things, when troubled times do come and be prepared for them because they will come, but when you are in them, you can remember because of this passage of scripture that it will not last forever, it will end, and God's name will be glorified at the end. Amen? And so it says, as we are in the middle of that, that who is there with us? It says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So when you are in those dark times, Jesus is there. Now, why does it talk about the rod and the staff? What is the rod for? The rod is, in my understanding, is the kind of the short, stout one. That's for... That's for uh, beating the wolves, the bears, right? It's for protection, And the staff, that's the long one with the hook on the end. And that's for the straying sheep. So when we're going through the hard times, sometimes it's an attack from the devil. And so Jesus is there to defend us with the rod. But sometimes when we're going through hard times, it's because we've been a naughty sheep. And we made our own bad choices and we went off the path, right? And so he can protect us from ourselves and he can protect us from the devil. Whatever it is, And it doesn't matter if you caused it or not. Jesus is there with you, bringing you back, saving you. There's nothing you can do to be too far from him. He will always be there searching for you. And that's why we have all those beautiful uh, illustrations in scripture about searching for the lost sheep. He is always searching, always there. And so if we get in the habit of praying through the 23rd Psalm on a regular basis, it is a reminder when you're in those hard times That even if you know you've made some bad choices, you know that Jesus is searching for you. He's reaching out for you and he's trying to pull you back. And so that is a good reminder to have because it helps you to get through those difficult times. Amen? And then where does the passage go from there? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Once again, there is a promise of trouble in life. We will have enemies, right? The devil does not like it when we give our lives to Christ. He does not like it when we are Christians. He does not like us going on the paths of righteousness and reaching out and and living for God with our lives. But he says that one day when this whole mess is over, once the valleys are done, we've spent our time choosing Jesus, being nurtured by his spirit, 
The day will come when he will celebrate that we have chosen him. And so that's that great banqueting hall in heaven. And he says he's going to prepare a feast in the presence of our enemies. Those people that discourage you, that the devil uses in a negative way, one day they will see that you are a child of God. And he anoints my head with oil. That is anointing of a prince, a princess, that you are his child, that you are chosen. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit is always symbolized with that oil. And so know that the day will come when you will be celebrated in heaven as God's child. And he says, I will live all the days of my life in the house of the Lord. Amen? And so can you see how praying through the 23rd Psalm on a regular basis can remind you to be connected to him, can remind you to look through your life to see if you're following the shepherd, can remind you to take quiet time with him. It can remind you that troubles only last for a little while. And it reminds you of the goal that we have that is heaven and an eternity of peace and happiness with Jesus. Is this a good tool? And see, that's, that's a fr- we, it's a frustrating thing is we know these scriptures so well, we've memorized them, but we're not using them as a tool to connect ourselves with Jesus. So we, any, any of your favorite passages of scripture, we have to get beyond understanding what it meant for the person who wrote it. We need to understand the context. We need to know what it meant to them, but we need to take that last step of applying it to our lives. Say, I don't want to only be inspired that Abraham was a great man of God, but I want to see how I can be just like that. Not to aim to be like Abraham, but to aim to be like Jesus And then maybe we'll end up like Abraham. So we want to be inspired not to say, wow, that was a great person, but to say, how can I do that? How can I become a person of God? How can I be just like that? Be included in the hall of faith eventually. Any feedback on that? Okay. No feedback whatsoever? All right, good. So does this make sense how devotional life is fuel for your evangelism? When you are connected to Jesus, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you have carved out time to spend time with him on a regular basis, you've structured your devotional life, you pray through scripture and you can do it anytime, anywhere, you start to develop those favorite passages that remind you and draw you back. Because in my campus clubs, when kids are maybe even a regular member of the campus club, sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes they slip up, go to a party, do something that they didn't ever think they would. And so when we talk about that, they'll come to me and talk to me. And what they always say, how they got in trouble, do you know what it is? Say, I wasn't thinking. You get caught up in the moment, right? I wasn't thinking. So the more that we can have scripture in our minds the more that scripture guides our hands, correct? And so the passage, pray without ceasing, it's not a conscious out loud prayer necessarily, but it's scripture in our minds and it's an attitude of prayer. We're so used to talking to God that it becomes the natural way our mind works and it becomes our conscience. As people talk about being guided by their conscience, well, your conscience, you're not just born with a good conscience. You educate your conscience. If you watch nothing but horror movies, and play M-rated video games, what's your conscience going to be like? Are you going to be okay with seeing someone get beat up? Yeah, you're going to be pretty conditioned to that. Whereas if you feed your mind with scripture, is your conscience going to be on a much higher plane? 
and your, your conscience will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that will guide you in your decisions in life. So having a consistent devotional life is a safeguard against getting into trouble. It'll keep you from having regrets that we get when we slip into doing things we don't want to. Make sense? So devotional life then also gives you the desire to do outreach and to reach out to help others and to spread the word of God with other people. Okay? So if there are no more questions or comments on that, let me go back to the the last section that I mentioned on how to structure your own devotional life. (coughs) Excuse me. So um, I recommend planning. Okay? If you are going to be successful in high school or college, do you have to study? Do you have a study schedule? Okay, and you prepare for tests and and you kind of map things out, especially if you're in college, you want to go to med school or something, you have to be very structured and you have to develop study skills, right? Okay, so, and if you want to be successful in business, in life, whatever, you need to get a calendar together. So what I encourage people to do, the first thing that I mentioned here is the annual events for the big recharge. Okay, so plan on whether it's camp meeting, men's retreat, women's retreat, um, canvassing each summer. Plan, say this next year, I'm going to go to camp meeting and I'm going to go to the teen Bible conference. You have to plan ahead. Say, I want to make sure that nothing squeezes this out because I need some of those big charges, right? Just like I share. Isn't this inspiring? Because you want to plan on going to that, right? And so you think of those things once you're out of school, finish canvassing maybe someday, what are the things that you can do for that big spiritual recharge, the connection? And make sure that you plan those into your life, okay? Then the monthly, weekly events for the shot in the arm. What can those kind of things be? Because any, any organization that's out there, any hobby, any passion people have, they have regular meetings for it, right? People are into racing cars. They meet with other people that race cars. Uh, Corvettes, they have Corvette clubs, okay? Anybody part of a knitting club or something like that? Pathfinders, we meet regularly to do the things that we all like to do together and to pursue the things that we believe in. And so the obvious first one for Christians, a weekly meeting would be what? Church, okay? And so that is a time that is designed to be the weekly reminder. This is how we are created. That's why God in the seventh day said we need rest. And so we have that weekly Sabbath meeting that we have scheduled, and so that can be church. Some people go to Sabbath school, some people do not. Is Sabbath school important? That's the time to sit down and study and to really dig in deeper, and that's where you're going to make a lot more friendships and connections. Now, also, we have small groups at my church that meet during the week, different times. So think through your life, what your options are, and make sure you are a part of at least a couple of weekly meetings. Maybe it's a Christian club on campus obviously church, but make sure you have those weekly appointments that help you in your spirituality. Make sense? Okay. So um, then there is your daily personal devotional time. So we've got big annual, semi-annual events. We've got weekly events. So get your spiritual structure in place. It is a safeguard and it helps you to nurture your life. Okay. So then on a daily basis, I like to go with the model of Daniel three times a day. Now, when I was in college, uh, well, after college, when I actually started getting to know Jesus personally, and I was still the night owl, I'd stay up till one or two in the morning, whatever. So morning devotional time, I was just way too groggy. So my main devotional time was at night. But anyway, try and figure out three times a day. 
Once we get older and more mature, and some people are just wired to be morning people, but if you have your main devotional time in the morning, then what I suggest is you have your, your, on the weekend, you'll choose out the passage of scripture that you want to have your devotions in for the week. Maybe break it up day by day. Then in the morning, you'll have your 20, 30 minutes of devotional time, prayer time. And then at lunchtime, just a five minute check-in. Think back, what was it I learned this morning in my devotion time? What was I reading about? And how can I apply that? Did I find a place where I could have shared that with somebody? And start to think back how, you, because if you're not applying to your life, what you're learning spiritually, it will stagnate. So you want to always be sharing. And so then at the end of the day, so in the morning is your main spiritual meal. At noon, you check in, see how it's going, reconnect, pray, maybe pray for the people that you've seen all morning, all day. And then at night, you want to reflect back and say, well, how did it go? Um, was I cranky today? Was I happy today? Did I help somebody? And if you can see evidence that God is in your life and that you're helping people, that you're excited, that you're praying a lot, you say, yes, great day. Thank you, Jesus. But if you're frustrated, you had some road rage, that's the time to sit down and say, wait a minute, why am I acting this way? Have I lost my connection with Jesus? Why am I being frustrated? Why am I allowing circumstances to dictate my attitude? Because circumstances do not have to dictate your attitude. Do you know that? And so it's a time to think, okay, I need to like spend more time with God. And so every day, just like I talked about those kids that get into trouble sometimes because they weren't thinking. So be thinking, reflecting through. And so every day, think about your connection with Jesus, what you can do to nurture it. And so then I have uh, some different things laid out kind of the weekly routine. So on Sabbath, that's the big spiritual recharge. Maybe Sabbath afternoon is when you're going to choose what you want to do for your devotional life for the week, and you'll kind of lay it out a little bit. Then on Sunday, uh, it's usually a free day uh, for a lot of people or a lot less structured, so maybe you can have a longer devotional time there. And then just understand that Monday is known as having the blues, right? <laughs> so think about, well, Monday, I'm going to want to do this. And so in your devotional time, mix it up. Um, not just scripture but what else can you have for devotional time singing nature okay there's a lot of things you can do in your devotional time and so i go through here uh suggesting different things and then uh, you want to mix it up some days you're going to want to you know once you kind of figure out yourself and how you connect spiritually it helps you a lot in your devotional life there's i filmed a lot of videos for my website video testimonies and there was a, a youth pastor in Southern California that I was talking to. She had brought a student uh, who was going to share a testimony of standing up for his faith in his public school. And I thought, she is such a vibrant, incredible, spiritual young woman. I was like, would you be willing to film a testimony of what your devotional life is about? She said, well, sure, of course. She's like, what do you want me to say? So I turned on the cameras. I was like, tell me about your devotional life. And she's, well... I don't know. I was like, well, tell me what, what's your favorite passage of scripture? And she's, I don't know. And I was like, well, what about your prayer life? And it was just so flat, nothing there. And then I asked her about singing because I knew she sang with the heritage singers from time to time. And as soon as I asked her about her music, she lit up. That's how she connects with Jesus. She has songs that have different messages, singing scripture. And for her, singing was this incredible way to connect with God. So for some people that can't sing like me, I'll maybe play some Christian music that's meaningful, that has some deep lyrics, some, some scripture or something to it. So there, there can be 
reading scripture. There can be praying through memorized scripture. There can be worshiping in song. Uh, Ellen White says, spend a thoughtful hour every day contemplating the life of Christ from the, cro- from the grave to the cross. So we can just sit there and think about scripture and about Jesus' sacrifice and be inspired by that. And so you start to learn all the different ways that you can connect with God. There's more than just one way. If, if, if you've only been told that you pick up a devotional book and you read for five minutes and be on your way and you're good, it's not true. How many of you have heard of Morris Vinden? He's been gone for a while now. But he was the great righteousness by faith preacher. And he uh, really turned our denomination uh, in a better direction in a lot of ways. And after he had retired and he was, he was old, he was at SoCal camp meeting. And he was at the young adult tent. And there was just a few of us gathered around for an afternoon meeting. And uh, he said, he said, I pray that God will forgive me for ever having written a devotional book. Because people can be tricked into thinking that's all it takes. Read five minutes and you're good and you're gone and you're done. But it's so much more than that. That can be a tool. And it can be something that can be a part of your devotional life. But that's not it. That's not the whole thing. So, and there can be good Christian books. It can be Desire of Ages. All these things. We have all these tools to read, to nurture, scripture, spirit of prophecy, praying, singing. We can worship in so many ways. Find the way that you connect. Because I've had more than one mother come to me and saying, well, my son, I... He, he doesn't have a relationship with God. And, you know, I, I make him read this devotional book every day and he hates it. And it's like, well, you have to help him to nurture his spirituality, help him to find the ways that he does connect. Because we're all a little bit different. Some of us are right brain, some of us are left brain. Other way. Uh, but find out how you connect with Jesus. But it's going to involve scripture. It's going to involve praying. It's going to involve worshiping. And it will lead to outreach. If you don't have a desire for outreach, you need to look at your devotional life and see where God wants you to improve and where he wants to lead you. Amen? Any questions? It is time, past time, for a break. Let's have a closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your love, for your guidance, for your nurture. I pray that you'd send the Holy Spirit to uh, draw us close to you every day, to help us to find the places, the ways that we can be nurtured by your Spirit and by your Scripture. Lord, guide us and uh, draw us so close to you that we can't help but share it with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.